You're listening to a podcast from Genesis Church in Phoenix, Arizona. You can find out more about Genesis Church at genesis-church.com. Thanks for listening. Joe mentioned we are continuing in our series in Acts, and before we get to our passage today, I want to let you know that uh, I have another driver in my house. Uh, my youngest son got his driver's license last week, and so we now have, yeah, you can congratulate him. He, he, he would hate that you would congratulate him, but whatever, doesn't matter. So we have two teenage drivers in our home now, and I will admit that when I found out he got his driver's license, he came, or the, the instructor came in and she gave me a thumbs up, I was like, oh, yes. A sigh of relief. Now, I know that's not necessarily the reaction of every parent, but for me, it was a sense of relief because for the last 10 years of my life, uh, my wife and I have been driving our kids everywhere. And uh, some of you are in that season of life right now. You know exactly what I mean. And for my youngest son, my, um, my driving him to uh, and around has primarily been to and from baseball practice games and tournaments, okay? Now, those, it's great. Um, I get, you know, I get a lot of joy out of being a part of that in his life and in my other kid's life. But there's a particular reason that I am grateful he now has his license because baseball coaches have no sense of time. They, I don't know what it is, but since he was six years old, apart from me when I coached him, I have a sense of time. Every other baseball coach he's ever had has no sense of time. Now, he's had amazing baseball coaches. They're great people. I love them. But both of my boys have been on multiple baseball teams, and the coaches are all the same. And here's the rule. You must arrive on time. Early is late, in fact, to a baseball coach. But when we finish, bit of a suggestion. Not really a hard and fast time. Uh, The coach will decide when we finish. So it's not uncommon for my son's baseball practice to be scheduled at 7.30 to start. You must be there at 7.15, but not really finish until 8, 8.15, 8.30, right? Because, well, you never really know when this thing's going to finish. But here's the thing. You have to be on time because if the one time that you decide, I'm just going to show up late, what happens? The coach finishes on time. And so you have to be there on time. And so, all this to say, I have done a lot of waiting for baseball practices to finish. And very rarely have I seen or interpreted those hours of my life waiting for a baseball practice to finish as being useful. But then I got to thinking this week, after I was reminiscing on all of the time that I've spent driving all my kids around and waiting on them, maybe the waiting that we do in life shouldn't be seen as unuseful, but maybe God has a better plan for it. You know, we spend a lot of time waiting in our life. We talked last week about the fact that Jesus' first instructions really to the disciples was wait, right? And we do a lot of waiting. Um, A survey done by Timex, the watch company, a few years back revealed that they surveyed uh, a couple thousand people and they revealed that on average, uh, we wait 32 minutes per doctor visit. Some of you are like, that's short, right? Like, we wait 38 hours a year in traffic. That's about a day and a half. We spend six months of our lives at red lights. 
oh, man, that's why we run them, right? No, I'm just kidding. We spend five years of our lives waiting in line. Five years of your life you spent waiting in line. And here's the thing, waiting is necessary. We have to wait. We have to spend time waiting in order to get to the things that we want. We have to wait at the doctor's office, right, because we have to have the checkup. And so we have to wait. We can't just, you know, walk in and demand, now, I'm going to do this now. We have to wait. We have to wait in traffic so that we can get to where we want to go. We wait at red lights so that we can get from point A to point B safely, and so others can do it as well. We have to wait in line to buy our groceries or ride the roller coaster so we can get what we want. But if we're, we're honest with ourselves, none of us, none of us want to wait, do we? We hate waiting. I hate wait. Wouldn't it be amazing? It was as if you went to the grocery store and you had your giant basket of groceries and there was a particular person just waving you. Come. I'm ready for you. Just put your items down. Let's make this quick on you. Or you went to the doctor's office and there in the waiting room was the doctor. Come. Let's go to the, right? That would be amazing. We would love that because we don't want to wait. Waiting is just an obstacle to get past, you know, in order for us to get to the thing that we want. It's something we have to get through in order to do what we desire to do. And I can't remember ever a time when I walked into a restaurant and they told me it would be a 45 minute wait and I got excited. I was like, yes, I can't wait to sit on this terribly looking couch for 45 minutes as other people go and eat their meals. This sounds amazing, right? And, you know, I only found myself becoming increasingly annoyed as I waited for baseball practice after baseball practice to end past their a lot of time. But, you know, some of those things, this is just, that's just normal run-of-the-mill stuff, right? Like we wait in line and we wait on our kids and we wait on, you know, our spouse or we wait for the doctor or whatever. But there's some more serious waiting going on in our lives too. What about when we're asked to wait on the test results? Or what about when we're asked to wait for the right person to come along? What about when we're asked to wait to see if we got the job or not? Or when we have to wait for the relationship to heal? Or when we have to wait for our children to return? When we have to wait for God to answer our prayer? We do a lot of waiting, but there's... There's some serious waiting going on in this room right now. And the question that arises for us this morning is, what are we supposed to do in the waiting? And is it true that our waiting is just an obstacle to get past, or or could it possibly be something more? Well, we are only in the second week of this series in the book of Acts, And as I mentioned last week, we are going to be making our way through this 28-chapter book. I have no idea how long that's going to take. Uh, As I mentioned, I might be dead before, you know, uh, one of my kids might have to finish the series. I have no idea what's going to happen. Uh, But my hope is that God will begin to stir a newness in all of us regarding him and his mission for the church as we make our way through it. And so last week, we, uh, we opened up the book of Acts. We started in Acts chapter 1, verse 1. And we watched Jesus instruct his first followers to wait for this Holy Spirit to arrive before they do anything. 
Now, eventually he says, listen, you're going to be my witnesses all throughout the world. You're going to do things that you never knew uh, possible. But right now, I need you to wait. I, I don't want you to get ahead of what the Spirit wants to do in and through you. But he also says, and through his messengers, he says, that doesn't mean I want you to just stand around and look at your navels, right? Like, I want you to, you know, make some movement. I want you to walk while you wait. We're going to take this slowly, and the Spirit's going to come and move in amazing ways. But there's some stuff that I want you to do in the waiting, and that's where we're going to go today. And that's going to bring us to the second half of Acts chapter 1. So if you haven't done so already, uh, make sure you grab your phone and open up the YouVersion app. A great way to follow along with what we're going to read today. We're going to read a fairly lengthy passage, so this is an easy way for you to kind of reference it. Uh, It'll also be on the screen, but I encourage you to use the app. And again, as we get to this passage, it's important to remember Jesus has now instructed his followers to wait on the Holy Spirit. He's ascended into heaven. The first, the, the messengers he sends, the angels he sends, tell them, hey, look, don't just stand around while you wait. There's some things that you can be doing. But the question they have to answer is, what are we supposed to do while we wait on the Spirit's arrival? And we'll see in this passage what they decide. Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 12. It says, Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of half a mile. When they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. Here are the names of those who were present. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all met together, were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. Now, before I go any further, I just want to, like, can you keep that there? I want you to notice who's at the first meeting of the church. There's the, the disciples that remain. Mary, the mother of Jesus, and who else? Several other women. Don't tell me women didn't help start this church thing. You might come from a tradition where you were told, hey, women, you know what? You just need to sit in the corner and be quiet. Mm -mm. This is not how the church started. That's not how we operate here. Ladies, you are vital to the well-being of this church, okay? Jesus also had some brothers, too, which, can you imagine being the brother of Jesus? Like, you know, like, I mean, we all have siblings where it's like, oh, they're, you know, like, they were so successful or whatever, but the brother of Jesus? Like, that's a tough, that's a tough pill to swallow. All right, let's go on. So I want you to notice there's some things going on in this passage that the, the first followers of just Jesus, these men and women, decide, hey, look, if we're going to wait, there are some things that we're going to do. And the first thing that Luke points out, Luke being the author of Acts, is that they prayed constantly. They decided, look, if we're going to wait, we're going to pray constantly. Here's here's what I want you to notice. When we're in the waiting in our life, our first action should be prayer. And, you know, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you kind of know that. But I don't know about you, but it's not always my first action when I'm waiting. I, I, I like to go immediately to strategizing and organizing and administrating and trying to get some stuff done. But this group of people, who, by the way, had no instructions on how to do this. They just decided, you know where we're going to start? We're just going to pray constantly. All the planning will come later. But in our waiting, we, like those first followers, 
we should spend gobs of time in prayer. Prayer was central to the life of Jesus and to the first followers that he had. Uh, One commentator, Robert Stein, says, prayer preceded every major decision or crisis in the life of Jesus and the early church. And we'll see as we read through the book of Acts, prayer is at the very core of who they are. Communication with each other and with God was at the core of who they are. And I wonder if we can say the same for ourselves. When, When we're waiting on an answer or a direction or a movement of God, are we constantly in prayer? Are we united in prayer or are we jumping past it into trying to fix it or plan it or strategize it? I love what Edwin Orr says about this topic. He says, no great spiritual awakening has begun anywhere in the world apart from united prayer. Christians persistently praying for revival. I read a story in the mid-1800s. Americans... They slowly became very materialistic. Uh, Prior to that, everything was very agricultural, but cities began to grow, and materialism became an important part of American culture. And the result was this slow but obvious lapse in faith among many in America. And so in 1857, uh, a a man named Jeremiah Lanfear, a 46-year-old businessman in New York City, felt led to start a New Time weekly prayer meeting Uh, in New York City. And on the first day, Lanfear showed up. He had told a bunch of people about this, and he started to pray. And he prayed by himself for about an hour, hour and a half. But by the end of his time, six other people had joined him in prayer. And the following week, it's recorded that 20 people came, and then 40 people came. And eventually, they decided to meet daily to pray as a group, to grow more to more than 100 over a month's time. And soon, there were similar meetings all across America, and within six months, there were 10,000 meetings daily in New York City alone to pray. This was what started what we now term as the Great Awakening in the mid-1800s. It's estimated that within a two-year period during that time, from 1857 to 1859, two million people gave their lives to Christ. The American population at the time was estimated around 30 million. See, when we're in the waiting, this is where we start. Jeremiah Lanfear, he he saw, look, God, we're waiting on your spirit to move in this country. And instead of getting political or trying to come up with some plan or strategy to get people to come to Christ, he just said, you know what? We're going to pray. And we're going to pray constantly. This is what connects us with our creator. And I can't explain it. I can't explain it. But the spirit begins to move in ways we cannot often see or understand when we pray constantly. But this isn't just what the only thing they do. In fact, the first part of that uh, passage shows us a little bit. And then it goes on in verse 15. It says, during this time, when about 120 believers were together in one place, Peter stood up and addressed them. Now, Luke points out, listen, when they were in the waiting, they did something. They prayed together, but they also gathered consistently. They got together. You know, the first followers knew that they are nothing without each other. They needed each other's support. They needed each other's encouragement. They needed the apostles to teach and to lead. They needed to be united in Jesus' mission to reach 
the world. And so they gathered consistently, not one off here and there, once a month, whatever. consistently they were together. I mean, can you imagine what might have happened if they decided, hey, you know what? Jesus wants to wait, so we're just going to go home and wait for the Spirit to come, and then when it comes, we'll, we'll maybe get back together again. Nothing would have ever happened, I don't think. They would have just gone their own ways. That would have been probably the end of it. But they decide, no, look, we're better together. We are called together because it strengthens our faith. It unites us in our purpose. And so men and women and teenagers and children, we all belong together because it fortifies our faith and it gives us a sense of direction in our lives. And as we wait on the Spirit, we are going to wait together. We're going to gather consistently and be in community with one another. So when the Spirit comes, we are ready. We are ready. I mean, I cannot emphasize enough the importance of being here on a Sunday. And I know, look, things are crazy in the world. I get it. But, but this still remains the very heartbeat of the church. We, we sing and we pray and we listen to God's Word because it unites us it shapes us, and it moves us to where the Spirit is leading us. You neglect this gathering for very long, and you will notice your faith will suffer. It is amazing. I've been doing ministry now for over 20 years. And as I watch people neglect meeting on Sunday mornings, gathering together to hear the Word of God, to worship together, to pray, to take communion. It is amazing to watch how their faith begins to suffer so quickly. In addition, we talked about it earlier, we, we have groups here because we want to gather consistently even outside of this. In the next few weeks, you're going to hear more about our groups and getting in a group. And if you're not, like, like this is, your, your faith is suffering as a result of that. It cannot be neglected. And again, I know that we continue to navigate COVID and all that brings with it, but I cannot emphasize this enough. Consistently gathering with the church is where we most often come face to face with the Spirit of God. And it would happen. It would happen for those first followers. You know, there's one other thing that the first followers do that when I first read this passage, I didn't really see it. I didn't really understand it. I mean, the prayer thing, that made sense. And gathering together, man, that made a lot of sense. But then the rest of the passage, I was like, what is going on here? So I just want to read this, and we're going to talk about it. Here, here's the rest of the passage, verse 16. Prior to this, it says that Peter stood up and addressed the gathering. And this is what Peter says. Brothers, he said, the scriptures had to be fulfilled concerning Judas, who guided those who arrested Jesus. This was predicted long ago by the Holy Spirit speaking through King David. Judas was one of us and shared in the ministry with us. Judas had bought a field with the money he received for his treachery. Falling headfirst there, his body split open, spilling out his intestines. Don't know why we had to include that, but that's all right. The news of his death spread to all the people of Jerusalem, and they gave the place of Aramaic name, Akel Damah, which means field of blood. Peter continued, this was written in the book of Psalms where it says, let his home become desolate with no one living in it. It also says, let someone else take his position. I'll stop there because it's sort of like, what's going on here? Like, what is Peter talking about? He's talking about Judas and his 
intestines spilling everywhere. Like, why? Why are we talking about this? But here's the thing. If you aren't aware of the story, Jesus calls 12 disciples to follow him while he's on earth. And there's meaning and there's symbolism behind the 12. The the, the 12 represent and symbolize the original 12 tribes of of Israel in the Old Testament. And that, that made up the nation of Israel as God called them to be a light in the world. And Jesus is symbolizing God's intention to revive and restore the people of Israel with the purpose of bringing people back to him. But, you know the story, one of them, Judas, is a snake, right? He betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, an act that would eventually lead to Jesus' death. He betrays him. And so there's some suspicion as to what actually happened to Judas afterwards. We know that he died. Some think he committed suicide. Other thinks he died accidentally. But either way, Judas is now gone. And so the 12 are now 11. And so it leads to this. Verse 21, Peter says, So now we must choose a replacement for Judas from among the men who were with us the entire time we were traveling with the Lord Jesus. From the time he was baptized by John until the day he was taken from us. Whoever is chosen will join us as a witness of Jesus' resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justus, and Matthias. Then they all prayed, O Lord, you know every heart. Show us which of these men you have chosen as an apostle to replace Judas in the ministry. For he has deserted us and gone where he belongs. Then he cast lots. And Matthias was selected to become an apostle with the other 11. Okay, so they decide, look, we got to replace Judas. He's gone. He's dead. We want to continue this, this purpose of being united as the 12 disciples representing God's intention to restore and revive Israel to be a light in the world. And so we've got to replace Judas. And so they pick two guys. And they're like, all right, which one do we want? They're both pretty equal. So we'll just, you know, we'll cast lots, which is an ancient way of trying to make a decision that may be hard. And they choose Matthias to fill that spot. So what's going on here? Like, why? Like, why does Luke think to include all of this information? Why can't he just said, you know, and Judas is dead, so they put Matthias in there. Like, why all of this information? Well, I think there's something that Luke wants to point us to that we ought to be doing while we're in the waiting. And that is that we're called to address gaps intentionally. The first followers, they realize we have a glaring gap in our community. There's a glaring gap in our leadership. And while they wait on the spirit to move, they decide we're going to take action on this. And it's in the waiting that we can take action on the gaps in our life. I mean, you could have relational gaps, financial gaps, spiritual gaps, moral gaps, you name it. There are gaps in your life. It's in the waiting that we can evaluate our situation and take stock of some of the gaps that exist in who we are. We are given space in the waiting to see where sin has taken root in our lives or we have chosen to go in a different direction than God desires. It's in the waiting where we begin to be able to self-evaluate, God, what's going on in my life? What gaps do you want to mend or fill? I remember during the first year of ministry, 
uh, 20-some years ago, I spent some time in the waiting. You know, I took the first job that kind of came my way, and I was a youth pastor in Lake Tahoe, which was amazing, but I didn't really know what I was doing, and I wasn't sure what God really wanted me to do or what it looked like to be a pastor. But I was made very aware of numerous gaps in my life. It became glaringly obvious as I waited to figure out what does this look like of these these gaps in my life. And I was immature in so many ways that I had yet to address. And in particular, I noticed that there was this gap in how I dealt with relationships, romantic relationships for most of my life. And I knew God was asking me in the waiting, you need to address this. This is a gap. So I decided no relationships for a year, which I'd never done before. No, I was just going to focus on my role as a pastor and gather with my friends and pray for revelation and really address what was going on in this gap. And I'm telling you, one year later, almost to the day, I met my wife. Now listen, yeah, you can clap. That's great. That's good for me. I don't know about her. It's good for me. But when we're in the waiting, God gives us this option and this opportunity to address the gaps intentionally in our lives. And the first church, they look around and they're like, we got some gaps. And we need to deal with this so that when the Spirit comes, man, we are ready. We're ready to allow the Spirit to do something new in us. Here's the thing. You are going to wait. It's going to happen. You're going to leave here today. You're going to get stuck by some guy at a red light who's not paying attention. And you're going to wait. You're going to honk your horn and get mad. And then you'll go to your house or whatever. You're going to wait. It's going to happen. And if you aren't doing that in your life right now with something, it's going to come about at some point. And I know we hate to wait. It's no fun. The first church examples for us, though, a view of waiting that I think can change us in so many ways. You see, the first church, they're called to wait, but they do it in a unique way. And they showed us that waiting is actually an opportunity, not an obstacle. You're waiting for whatever it might be. God looks at it very differently than you may. Your waiting to God is not an obstacle. It is an opportunity to grow closer to him in prayer, to grow closer to the community of God as we gather, to address maybe some of the gaps in your life that he wants to mend and heal and change. Waiting is never wasted on God. Your waiting is never wasted. It's in the waiting that we become more united, more connected, more shaped into the people that he wants us to be. So whatever you're waiting on these days, it's my prayer that God would shift your mentality to see it as an opportunity, not as an obstacle. An opportunity to grow in your prayer life, an opportunity to experience the value of gathering and community, an opportunity to address some of the gaps in your life. Because I'm convinced that we as a church are being called to be people who see waiting as an opportunity, and even as a church collectively to see that. Like Jeremiah Lanfear, during the Great Awakening, I believe God wants to stir another revival right here in our own backyard. God is not done with this world. 
He is not done with our community. And it starts with us, Genesis Church, taking serious the opportunity that we have, even in the waiting, as we wait on God to continue to do the work that he has, to be people who pray constantly, who gather consistently, who address the gaps in our ministry and in our lives. And in doing so, we, we like the first church, will be prepared for the Spirit's movement when it's ready. So will you join me in the waiting? See it not as an obstacle, but as an opportunity to see God for who he truly is, to allow him to do work in you that you never knew possible, and to move forward with greater hope in this world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that in the waiting, you don't waste it. That as we wait on your movement in our lives, whatever that might be, that you don't waste those moments when we take time to spend time in prayer with you, not because we have to, but because we get to. It's an opportunity to pray, to gather, to address some of the, the messes and the dark corners in our lives. You don't waste that. You use that to prepare us for even greater things. And so this morning, I pray, God, that you would help us as a community to see waiting as an opportunity. And Lord, as we wait on your spirit to do only what he can do, I pray that we would stay faithful, to stay faithful as a community in prayer and in our, our, our gathering and worship, to stay faithful in addressing some of the gaps, even in our own community, God, that you prepare us for what only you can do. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who called these first followers. Thank you for their courage and their, their bravery to, to stay true to who they were called to be, to wait on you. And So, Lord, we cast, God, that you would just, you would do a mighty work in us as we wait, that this opportunity that we have, whatever we might be waiting on, would change us to look more and more like you and your son, Jesus. We pray all this in his name. Amen.